standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go beyond the bell. Well, Bob Cordell at the top of today's program on the opening, I witnessed again something that in my wildest nightmares I never thought would ever take place. But it did take place. And you know, I showed what a true gentleman I am, which is characteristic of all the four horsemen when I spent the better part of 15 or 20 minutes back in the dressing room at the Superstation calming down the world television champion while he was knocking furniture over and damn near destroying a dressing room. And then I convinced him that he would be a better man and a greater world television champion if he would allow me to go out there on his behalf because I didn't expect him to take time from his busy schedule. I, as administrative director of Blanchard Enterprises, was willing to go on national television, and all it would have taken at that point would have been a simple apology. And I think captured for posterity on videotape, we can see just what happened from that point. All right, fans, here it is. Earlier we had to go to a break. Maybe we didn't give Ole enough time to come out. Listen, the horsemen are very intense individuals. Sometimes emotions have a tendency to get a little high-strung. And a couple of the horsemen were just, maybe they didn't understand why Ole wanted to sit up in the bleachers and cheer his son on to the state regional finals somewhere here in Georgia rather than be running where the horsemen thought he should be because at that point maybe he'd be a world champion. Now, Ole, you've been a little stubborn all your life, a little pig-headed sometimes. Sometimes you got to sit you down and explain the facts of life. Now, what happened is no big thing. But to make things right, Ole, I think you owe the horseman an apology. You owe Tully Blanchard an apology. And maybe you owe me an apology. I don't know. But I think if you're still in the business, building, and I'm told that you're here somewhere, I think, Ole, in all fairness, if you just come out here, and I think it needs to be public because you took the opportunity to do it in front of a, who knows how many millions of people. All I'm asking, Ole, is get out here. Don't put me on the spot and embarrass me any further. Get out here and tell the whole world you put your foot in your mouth, you're sorry, I'll smooth it over with Blanchard, I'll smooth it over with everybody else, and it's over with. Now, don't keep me waiting. How much well, time's left? I don't know. We don't only have a couple of minutes Please left in the program. Apologize to me. And you talk about the unity of the horsemen? Okay, we'll see about the unity of the horsemen right now. We don't need to see any interviews. We need to get Ole Anderson out here. If i got to buy some time to keep this program on the air, I'll do it. I, how much is it quick? Somebody get a phone we call are, to Turner. A minute I got money. I know that. I know you have money. Somebody Jay. call Turner. That. Cancel the news or whatever you want. I'll stay on the air here till we get Ole Anderson out here. If it takes five minutes or ten minutes, we got money too, right? We're staying on the, the air. I don't care what he is. At this point, he's embarrassing okay. Okay. Oh, man. Only thank you very much for coming out. I'll tell you like it is. I don't appreciate you talking about my son. And as far as I'm concerned, you're a scumbag. Whoa! I'm a scumbag. You and all the That's Tully. You can forget about the unity he talked about right there with only Anderson. Happy to the four, four horsemen. Goodness. You know, Bob Caudle, Ole Anderson has a son that in his first year of active wrestling competition as a sophomore did an incredible thing. He won a state regional high school championship. 
Now, whether he could have done it without the support of Ole Anderson sitting up with the bleachers, that I guess we'll never know. But only tomorrow morning when you get up, I want you to look at your son in the eye, pat him on the back for winning that regional state championship, and then try to explain to him, Ole, the price that you had to pay. Gentlemen, anybody out there watching, we're a unit. The four horsemen are not four individuals. Anytime you see the four horsemen together, it's something special. We are the studs in professional wrestling. It is that time once again to take a trip back down memory lane to rewind and relive all things retro in wrestling. This is your pro wrestling nostalgia podcast known as Beyond the Bell, powered by the SNS Radio Network. And I'm your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, once again, back with you to bring you Old School Wrestling. First off, I would like to thank each and every one of you, all of the fans of Beyond the Bell, for all of your support and good wishes and comments over the past few weeks dedicated to our Pro Wrestling Nostalgia podcast. Thank you for those kind words and suggestions, and we'll carry them through over the next few weeks and months leading into 2013, which will be a big year for Beyond the Bell. As we wrap up the year, please send me any more suggestions you have of what you'd like to hear and uh, relive on Beyond the Bell. So email me at btbwrestling at gmail.com as well as beckerman at ringanouncy.com. Both emails are combined under one section, so you guys can contact me with your suggestions there. Also, you can send me tweets. Follow me on Twitter at Sean Beckerman. And send me your suggestions there. As we enter 2013, we'll be changing some things up format-wise for the show uh, to give it more of a constant flow with some new content for you, and we still mix in that classic theme. So stay tuned for that in 2013. For those of you that have reached out to me in terms of having difficulty downloading and streaming the show, um, I am addressing the situation. If you still have trouble downloading or streaming uh, Beyond the Bell archive shows and new episodes, please let me know. Uh, contact me again via email or Twitter, and we'll try to find a remedy to the issue. I think there may have been a server issue before for those that have have had issues. For those of you that have not contacted me and still have issues uh, downloading Beyond the Bell, please let me know. Uh, the bottom line is, like Stone Cold Steve Austin would say, I want to hear from you fans. I want to hear more feedback just not some troubleshooting concerns, but I want to hear your, your suggestions, your ideas, your opinions on the show, what you like, what you dislike. Either avenue, please contact me. I want to hear from you fans. One of the changes coming up in 2013 is the addition of the interaction of you fans on the show. I want to have call-ins with your opinions, your ideas, your suggestions for Beyond the Bell each and every week. We'll give you a preview of the upcoming topic, so we give you a whole week ahead of time where you can call in to a specific number and leave a message. I've heard it done on other podcasts, which have been successful, so we're going to try and add that component of Beyond the Bell in the upcoming year. So where you can leave a message regarding a topic, 
And if we think they're valid and insightful and entertaining, we'll put on the show and have some rebuttals, some comments, some remarks about your opinions and comments. So it's going to be another great addition for Beyond the Bell, so stay tuned for that, fans, in the upcoming year. Bottom line, I want the fans of Beyond the Bell to be heard. Us old school nostalgia fans, we have a lot of opinions, so let them be heard. Let Beyond the Bell be the forum for you fans to relive classic moments in wrestling. So, now with that out of the way, wrestling fans, it's time to talk some horsemen. As we open up the horsemen files to the year 1987. Once again, in honor of their induction into the 2012 WWE Hall of Fame, we opened up the Horseman Files as we take an in-depth look at the history of the four horsemen in chronological order. And what a better way than look on a yearly basis at the milestones of the illustrious, monumental, groundbreaking stable known as the Four Horsemen. The term stable fits so well for the Four Horsemen. So now we're talking 1987. Coming out of the war that was Starcade 86, the Horsemen could stand proud after winning two of three title matches. Tully Blanchard defeated the American Dream Dusty Rhodes for the TV title. Ric Flair fended off the assaults of Nikita Koloff, somehow maintaining his grasp on the world title, and the Andersons had a near-miss defeat at the hands of the Rock and Roll Express. The group was tight-knit, in their power beyond this blockbuster event, and if any disagreements went down, the differences were settled backstage. The Horsemen had solidified their place atop the NWA ranks as a team, and now it was time to test their longevity. As the scenes began to show in the initial grouping, sides were taken. It all erupted in the spring of 1987, two years after Ole walked out on his tag team partner, to start it all. The early part of 87 was just business as usual for the group. Nikita Koloff was given multiple rematches for Flair's gold, but never walked away a champion. The Horsemen had come together as a cohesive unit and had everything pretty well down to a science. Flair had little to worry about, as his troops were always there to bail him out in case of an emergency. Always. Arn Anderson fought a losing series against Koloff in hopes of picking up the Russians' U.S. strap, and Tully Blanchard had an enraging Dusty Rhodes to deal with. Now, throughout the months, Rhodes would grab multiple countouts and DQ victories, but when the dust settled, Blanchard was still wearing the strap. As the dream became angrier and angrier and even more frustrated over time, Blanchard even grabbed a couple countout victories of his own. This served to further enrage the big Cajun. The feud would be coming to a head, but not for several months' time. In the meantime, though, Flair had a new world title competitor in the form of Barry Windham. A refugee from the historic small-time Florida circuit, Windham had been making a nuisance of himself for weeks, riding in on the horseman's parade and always popping his head into the mix when it was least expected. After spending months alongside veteran Ronnie Garvin, Windham felt the time was right to make his move for Flair's gold. We said we hadn't seen the world champion yet, and here he is, man. The heavyweight champion of the world, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Give it to him, guys. Give him the whole package, 
one time. Start down there, Daddy. Give him the whole package. I got the whole world in my hands. You know, there's nothing like walking out and totally captivating an audience like one of the four horsemen. Or as only like one of the four horsemen can do. So, uh, Tony Blanchard out here, styling and profiling. The genius. James J. Dillon out here, hollering out commands, taking charge. And the monster, the associate, the man that made Animal Hawk and Nikita move to a gym across town to work out. Our newest member, Lex Roger. And girls, let me be the first one to tell you, because I witnessed it personally, Lex Luger is not just all show, baby. Woo! He's a whole lot of go. And you see, that's why he's going to be a horse. He can wrestle. He can style. He can profile. He can woo the lady. And last but not least, he's got class. Can you imagine dressing Nikita Koloff up? You can dress him up, but you can't take him anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Dusty Rhodes, huh? Ronnie Garvin, Barry Wingham, well, shuck, folks. <laughs> yeah, not a chance. We're talking about styling and profile. When we walk into the Los Angeles Forum and Jack Nicholson and David Shelton and Jack Kent Kirk and James Worthen, Cleaver off standing there. Come on in, Slick Rick. Come on in, JJ. Come on, Tilly. Come on, Rick. Woo! Come on, Arnoldi. That's what we're talking about. Styling and profiling. We are not the blue jean, blue shirt, cowboy boot crew. We are alligator shoes, thousand dollar suits, Rolex watches, and any woman in the whole world we want. Just like that. So Philadelphia, next Saturday night, Philadelphia, the horsemen are going to be in town. And after we destroy all the opposition, we're going to be at the Marriott Hotel. Top floor. J.J. Dillon standing there at the entrance. And let me see how it goes like this. J.J. have a check for Are you 18? Are you between 18 and 28? Are you single? You got all the gear. Step on in because the audition for the Space Monument in Philadelphia at the Marriott after the match. Yes, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Birmingham, Chattanooga, Memphis. Woo! The horsemen beyond their way. <laughs> what a feeling. What a feeling to wake up every morning knowing that regardless of what the little lady who's on your right has to say, or the little lady who's on your left has to say, or the one who comes out of bath and says, I can't believe it! Here tonight with the horsemen, we know beyond a shadow of an out, we make the most money. We have the best cars. We live in the biggest houses and the biggest out of town. We have control of the promoters. We got all the women, all the notoriety, all the money. And Tony Schiavone, 
in Los Angeles. And the goodness of my heart, I'm going to put something just like that on you, Daddy. You know why? Because I'm a horseman. Woo! With his own protege in the form of a rookie by the name of Lex Luger, by his side, as well as far-reaching backstage connections, the stage was certainly set in flair. Ever the showman was not about to back down with his reputation on the line. On the eve of January 24th, it all hit the fan on a live TBS broadcast. Wyndham stretched Flair to his limits, matching a move for move, reversal for reversal, and step by step. Flair took the technical victory, but Wyndham walked away an overnight sensation, not nearly as surprising as his stamina and lasting power. The match went well over an hour, fans. That was mainly the reason why he got there. Instead of relying on his brute force to overcome Flair's previously unmatched technical skills, Wyndham fought fire with fire and proved his own worth as a technician. In this day and age, to match Ric Flair in a scientific showdown was to ascend to the echelon of pro wrestling, and Barry Wyndham was headed there in hurry. Embarrassed, bruised, and nearly beaten, Flair had met an opponent who could keep up with him in the ring, finally, and quite possibly could beat him at his own game. Without his ring prowess to fall back on, Flair instead used his powers of persuasion to turn the tables on his newfound foe. In the weeks following the 24th, J.J. Dillon began a professional relationship with Lex Luger, Wyndham's friend and loyal student. Before long, Dillon and Luger, under his complete mental control, led the young package away from the world title and Ric Flair, and instead aimed him at horseman enemy and U.S. champion Nikita Koloff. The manipulation started for the total package. It was only a matter of time before his turn against Wyndham was official. Bearing this in mind, Barry made one last effort toward awakening his friend to what he was getting himself into. The confrontation went down on live television, and before Wyndham was through speaking, the horsemen had jumped him, with Luger by their side. With open arms, the four accepted Luger as an associate member of their team. With the big Jim Crockett Sr. Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament just around the bend and a prize of $1 million going out to the team that walked away victorious, many believed a duo of horsemen tag teams would pretty well seal it up as Flair was defending his belt at the top of the card. However, almost immediately following Luger's arrival, Tully and JJ began to pick at the often missing Ole Anderson. These two blamed Ole for their only Starcade loss, as he was the Anderson that took the pinfall. It was argued that Ole was no longer pulling his weight in the group. What began as common criticism eventually turned into a feeding frenzy, and with Ole missing from the ring for weeks, it all went unanswered. On the eve of his return, Ole explained all. His son had been competing in an amateur wrestling tournament, multiple tournaments, should I say, and the elder Anderson was determined to be there for his son. When Blanchard called the boy a snot-nosed little brat under his breath, it all boiled over. Members of the Four Horsemen, Tully, Blanchard, James J. Dillon, and their associate Lex Luger. 
You know, I've been sitting back listening to all the uh, all the reveries today about the great night in Pittsburgh last night, how a record was broken in the Civic Center, an all-time record for professional wrestling match. And hey, I think that's great. But the Horsemen had a big week, too, the other night. We sold out Hammond, Indiana, jumped in the limousines into Chicago to show Chicago how the Horsemen like to party. And when Chicago said, hey, we can't handle this anymore, Chicago's going to bed, then we jumped in the limousine with the General Bruce MacArthur and boogied on down to Cicero and put them to bed. And that's the way the horsemen do it, right, Tony? 24 hours a day. JJ, being a horseman is 24 hours a day, but you know, Tony Giovanni, the Space Mountain Net Tour was alive, exciting and well, yeah. from Chicago to Minneapolis to Pittsburgh. And you know what? Baltimore's coming pretty soon, right? You know, we talk about the Space Mountain Nets. They're hiring extra security at the arenas. Well, let's move the walk that aisle because the women are going, their estrogen levels are surging, their hormones are surging, they're stuffing dollar bills, fives, tens down my trunks, I walk the aisle, they're clawing, they're grabbing, they just want to touch. See if it's for real. It's for real, ladies. Lex Luger is all there. The ultimate control package, and he is so happy to be associated with a pilot group, the elite group, the horsemen. Right now, the epitome of the horseman is in the ring. I'm talking about the great Ole Anderson, Arn Anderson, the greatest tag team in wrestling history, and they're going to show you again today just how the horsemen do it. All right. Oh, the guard buster. Here comes Ole. Insult injury right here. All right, you heard JJ. Insult. Well, I'll tell you what, insult injury, big part of the horseman, buddy. He hooks the arm. Cannot take any more. There you go. The Anderson. Up in Baltimore. They're awesome. You're looking at the original horseman, the rock. He and Gene Anderson, the greatest tag team combination in wrestling history. And what did he do? Only Anderson opened his arms to Ric Flair. The rest is destiny. Ric Flair, the greatest heavyweight champion of all times. And then to complete your tradition, the original four horsemen. Who comes in? But Arn Anderson to complete the unit. And then when Gene Anderson went down, it created a big boy. And what happens? Only Anderson opens his arms to Tully Blanchard. JJ, wait just a minute. I believe he said that uh, we let an outsider in is the way he put the terminology. Uh, yeah, he might have said that, but hey. But this outsider, JJ, right here, world's television champion, the proof is in the pudding. You got the Am I right or That's wrong? exactly That's right. Okay. And here's Oli. Is that supposed to be something that you want to say to me or what? If the shoe fits, wear it, Oli. If you'd have been taking care of business instead of that snot-nosed kid, you'd be... Oh, you... Okay, friends, we're going to take a break. In a day when backstage coverage was all but absent, Tully, Oli, and JJ had a brawl that tore apart the TV studio. When the dust had settled, Tully and JJ turned their backs on the man who started it all. One week later, Arn made it official by jumping his former partner from behind. Oli was out. And Lex was in. Oh, Oli, thank you very much for coming out. I'll tell you like it is. I don't appreciate you talking about my son. And as far as I'm concerned, you're a scumbag. Whoa! That's Tully. Look out. What's going 
can forget about the unity he talked about right there with Ole Anderson having the four, four horsemen. Goodness. They are back, as you can see, back behind our podium right here. Fans are on their feet. Look out. And we are right near the end of our program. This is the four horsemen. JJ. Arn Anderson with him. Tell him what I consider to be true friendship. This week, you showed me a few things that I really didn't know. You may help me to show me the lights. You see, every arena I've been going to all across this country the past week, the questions have all been the same. Where do you stand? Well, you see, two short years ago, I came to Jim Crockett Promotions, a veritable unknown. They said, who is this kid with a big mouth, claims to have all this ability, claims his name's Anderson. Nobody knows who he is. Well, through hard work and dedication, I showed the people throughout this country and world that I'm Julian Anderson. That I'm truly capable of holding up the Anderson name. You see, the Anderson name means tag team wrestling. That's what I said my whole life, my whole life's goal was to be the finest tag team on earth. Just like the name Anderson implies. And you only were doing other things at the time. But you saw a chance through me. Through me only, you saw a chance to rise the Anderson name to its former prominence. Well, Ole, I said my whole crescendo, my whole life's work, it's that very thing. And on one ill-fated night, Starcade 86, my chance, Ole, in immortality, disaster struck. You see, when the one, two, three came, anybody can get beat, Ole. I understand, anybody can get beat. I looked into your eyes. I didn't see that fire, Ole. The fire was no longer there. Because you see, I knew it was over then. Because when an Anderson gets beat, the fire burns ever more intensely. So I knew it was all over then, Ole. You see, what happens now is I've got to prove myself all over again. Maybe you were thinking about your kid, Ole. Fine, well and good. I'm family too, Ole. I'm family too. What about me? Don't I count for anything? After all the hard work, don't I count too? So he asked me where I stand. Well, only all I can tell you in the entire world is I've worked too hard. I had to prove myself once. I can do it again. I'm that good. Nikita Koloff, I'm directing this to you. Since I've got to prove myself all over again, I might as well take that prestigious U.S. heavyweight title. So the bottom line is, the $64,000 question is, where do I stand? I have always been, I will always be an innocent, and I will always be a horseman. Hey, from this point on, the horsemen are your family. We wash our hands of Ole Anderson. All right. All right. Okay, there you heard it right there. This now left three horsemen to compete in the tag tournament. And Arn, without his partner of the last two years, what was going to happen? Meanwhile, Tully and Luger would complete the only all-horseman team in the tournament. Arn would tag with Kevin Sullivan. And a bit of irony, considering three future horsemen would later depart the Federation due directly to Sullivan's reign as Booker. When the top-seeded Rock and Roll Express were kept from the tournament thanks to an eye injury, it seemed like a cakewalk, well, basically a cakewalk victory for the horsemen. 
However, the team of Anderson and Sullivan were eliminated in the first round by Bob and Brad Armstrong, which was an upset to say the least. In their stead, Luger and Blanchard received a bye into the second round before climbing to the finals. They eliminated the Armstrongs along the way. Waiting in the finals were two familiar faces, the superpowers, Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff. As the teams began to measure each other up prior to the bell, the audience exploded at the sight of another familiar face. Magnum T.A. was hobbling down the entranceway in his first public appearance since the car accident that ended his career. The crowd went crazy. Though Magnum's presence was motivation for the superpowers, the newest horsemen were already working as a cohesive unit. They isolated Koloff and proceeded to run him through the mat as Rhodes looked on helplessly. The match progressed and the horseman nailed Koloff with a spike pal driver while the ref was distracted. As chaos ensued and all broke out, Tully went for one more pal driver on the big Russian, which Rhodes finally ended with a flying cross body block. The big man landed on top of Blanchard and scored the three count for the victory. Later, Flair had his hands full once again with Barry Windham in the world title match. Again, Flair squeaked by with his championship, but the post-match activities told quite a story. While Windham walked out of the ring discouraged but proud, Flair lay breathless on the mat. Wyndham had stretched him to the limit once more, and the champ knew, at this rate, his days were numbered. After his victory in the tournament, Dusty had his sights set on a certain champion as well. Tully Blanchard had been ignoring his request for another shot at the same TV title Dusty should have lost in the first place. Rhodes was ready to boil. The Dream offered a cash equivalent of Tully's choosing in exchange for the shot. And, of course, Blanchard agreed. It was money. He agreed, of course, to the tune of $50,000. While Rhodes apparently did not have that kind of money, Magnum T.A. did. And he was willing to risk it. Surprised that Dusty had scrapped enough together, Tully became a bit concerned and demanded a signing bonus of another $50,000. He thought the first fifty would not be possible and he'd skate by. Therefore, now it was a total combined amount of $100,000. Surprisingly, the deal went through as well, and the match was signed. In the meantime, Dusty busied himself up alongside Koloff in tag team matches. During one particularly heated battle against the dream team of Flair and Luger, war broke out. Tully and Arn made it four on two, concentrating on Rhodes' knee in particular. Once again, the Dream would have a handicap to fight off in an important match. A pattern for Dusty during this time frame. The beginning of June rolled around, and with it came the big title shot. Rhodes was still suffering from his knee injury, as was blatantly obvious throughout the entire live tour of the NWA. Dusty would deliver a move take a moment to sit, and then get back into the action. Suddenly, Rhodes nailed Blanchard's finisher, the slingshot suplex, from out of nowhere. He made the cover, and the pinfall, or so it seemed. In the seconds after the fall, Dylan draped the limp leg of Blanchard over a ring rope and claimed it had been there throughout the entire count. While the ref debated restarting the match, 
Dylan grabbed the $100,000 and ran to the back with Rhodes in hot pursuit. Back in the ring, however, the ref had decided to resume the match and started a tang count. Before Dusty had realized what was happening, he'd been counted out and the money was all Blanchard's. Fans, as you know, a lot of things have been going on with the four horsemen. We've been looking to talk to Ole Anderson, finally get a chance to talk to him. Ole, why don't you just come in here and tell us your side of the story? Well, as you say, a lot of people have been asking me what's happening with the four horsemen. I'll tell you this, as far as Flair is concerned, I really don't know because I haven't talked to him. Iron, I've only heard some things about him, and I'd say the kid's a little bit confused that maybe he's just letting his brain race a little bit further than it should right now. Lex Luger, I'll tell you right now, you might be making a big mistake. You're a big kid, good-looking, got a lot of future. But I don't think you're going to have a future with a guy like James J. Dillon. I don't think you're going to have a future with a guy like Tully Blanchard, the man that's the outsider. And I'll tell you why. Because any time a person puts their business, whatever it might be, whether it's making cars or down here at the factory someplace, putting up tomatoes, or it's a farmer out here growing corn, if you put that ahead of your family, then you're making a big mistake. And I'll tell you what, in the years I've been on earth, I finally maybe learned myself that there is something that's very important, that is family. And any time I got to listen to a guy like Tully Blanchard or James J. Dillon calling my people no good and making some comment about my son, my son! Now you take a look and you ask yourself, you're sitting at home, you're right here in this building. What's more important to you if it isn't your family? What do we got Christmas for? What do we got birthdays? What do we got all these things for if it's not family? Well, I'll tell you, it's real important to me. Family is real important. And nobody makes a comment about my boy. I understand Dylan, he's even got this big Bubba. Well, I'll tell you what, Bubba, if you think it's easy, ask some of these people here, ask them all around the country what it was like when the Andersons were riding high. I might be an old horse, but as far as I'm concerned, there's still one ride left. Bubba, Tully, JJ, anybody else who wants a piece of Anderson, it's going to be real, real easy. I know, Aaron, you talked about the fire. You looked in my eyes and you said maybe the fire was going. Well, you look in my eyes again. You know what they say? The flame burns brightest just before it goes out. Well, maybe I'm on my way out, but it's burning bright right now. And I got one reason, one reason above all, that I'm going to make sure I knock some heads and I break some arms. And I'll tell you what that reason is. It's that son of mine. It's that shot nose. And everywhere I go, I'll be looking at you, Tully. I'll be looking at you, JJ. And I'll be looking for you, Big Bubba. And I'll be looking at you. And I'm going to be calling you a shot nose. Look out because Anderson's coming. Elsewhere in the NWA, Jim Cornette and company were up to their old tricks once again. This is when rugged Ronnie Garvin dared to stand up to their might. Cornette pulled out one of the few remaining old-school gimmicks that hasn't lost its shock value in today's world of table spots, staple guns, thumbtacks, extreme rules, hardcore wrestling. He blew a fireball into Garvin's face. Before an all-out attack could ensue, Garvin's brother Jimmy ran in to make the save. As a former ally of the horseman, for Jimmy to assist his brother, with whom he'd had many an argument over the years with, was out of line, of course. He was out of line. Flair hadn't much time to discuss the subject, though, as his hands were about to be completely filled. In the weeks leading up to the Great American Bash, random attacks escalated, so much so that it turned into an all-out war between the two major factions of the NWA. 
similar to the NWWCW feuds of its heyday, any particular card would end up with one stable or another at their enemy's throat. The complete insanity prompted the decision for the 1987 Great American Bash card, which featured a unique match that since gathered a reputation for intensity, the infamous War Games concept. Though the events come and gone more often than not since the 87 Bash, the rules have remained virtually the same throughout the years. A roofed steel cage covers two rings, side by side. The match begins with one competitor from each team in the ring, a clock counting down the two minutes until the next man will be entering the cage and allowed to compete. A coin toss then decides the order of combatants with each team alternating turns. Once all ten men are in the ring, the match officially begins. War Games starts. All ten tear at each other until one gives into the pain, submitting and losing the match for his entire team. The teams for the inaugural War Games consisted of the Horsemen, Flair, Luger, Arn, and Tully, and manager J.J. Dillon versus Rhodes, Koloff, the Road Warriors, and their manager, Paul Ellering. This set the standard for hardcore matches to come. This was the... This match, this concept, was the definition of hardcore. A groundbreaking concept that I wish was implemented to this very day. You could say it's the founding father to the Hell in the Cell or the Elimination Chamber. The War Games concept made wrestling so special. It made a rivalry intensify and created a ground for excitement and action to bring people into the seats and into the arenas. It's what Art Anderson described as the best match of his career. The first two combatants to step into the War Games cage were Anderson and the American Dream. Write it down. It's an important match. The horsemen had luck on their side, as Flair was the third man in the ring, amidst the kind of insanity usually reserved for a battle royal. Some order remained, though. Tully Blanchard made a beeline for the worn-down Dusty Rhodes, continuing their never-ending feud. Flair went after Animal and Hawk at the same time, as he'd been defending his title against both later in the tour. Luger's assault against Nikita was a given, of course, as the two were still involved in a heated feud of their own. The deciding factor lay in the managers, and which team member could get to which manager first. As the dust began to settle, the Road Warriors collected the last laugh. They scooped up J.J. Dillon and delivered their doomsday device, their double-team finisher, before forcing a submission out of J.J. with a solid armbar. One more for the good guys. The Horsemen went down in the inaugural War Games match. Further along in the tour, Luger was finally granted his wish. A United States title shot against the injured champion Nikita Koloff, after suffering through the majority of the War Games match with an exclamation point coming in the form of a spiked pile driver, Koloff's neck had seen better days, and he wore a brace to the ring. To assure there would be no outside interference on either man's behalf, the match took place in a 10-foot-high solid steel cage. Right out of the gates, Luger assaulted the injured body part, tearing the brace off in, near mi- in mere minutes into the bout. 
as Dylan shouted encouragement from beyond the steel walls, the Russian superstar began his comeback. But before he could deliver his finishing maneuver, the Russian sickle, the ref took his complimentary bump break to the corner. The ref was down, leading a horseman, of course, leading to a horseman running, right? With Luger down for the count and no referee to make it official, Dylan worked more of his magic. While Koloff's resuscitation techniques fell short on the other end of the ring, J.J. lobbed a chair over the top of the cage. As Luger wobbled to a vertical base and Koloff's efforts began to bear fruit as well, he was suffering just as much as the total package. The package then struck. The recovering ref saw Lex apply his torture rack to an unconscious Koloff and called for the bell. Luger was the new United States champion as a result of a submission. A new champion in the Horseman. With war games behind him, world champion Nature Boy Ric Flair finally had a chance to say his piece regarding Jimmy Garvin's recent face turn. To sum it up, Rick did not appreciate it. Not one bit. I've seen the way Precious looks at me. I understand the body language. I know the eyes that go right to That's right, baby. She's got the hots for the world champion. She walks out here week in and week out. Probably one of the finest specimens ever put on the face of the earth. And as you know, Tony Schiavone, when Ric Flair wants a woman, he will stop at nothing to him. And that's the bottom line. If it's a limousine at a hotel, if it's a first-class ticket, if it's a ride on my own jet airplane, I'll send it anywhere in the world. If the woman is in my eyes, if the woman's in my mind, and in this case, no offense to Jimmy Garvin, but before there's any bloodshed, before we break a sweat, Jimmy Garvin, let's be real honest with each other. Precious has got eyes. For space yeah. Who wouldn't want to walk that aisle? I mean, really, who wouldn't want to walk the aisle with the world's heavyweight champion? It'd be like this, Precious. Here comes Precious Woo-hoo! with the world champion. Here comes Space Mountain with Precious. <laughs> it's got a nice sound to it, doesn't it, baby? Precious. I know you're in the studio. Make the right move, baby. Wave bye-bye to Jimmy right now and walk out here. Because the world custom-made awaits you. Precious, make the right decision, baby. Tomorrow night, you can walk down the aisle of the Omni right here in Atlanta, Georgia with space. <laughs> come on, Precious, come on out, baby. Tony Schiavone, you. I'm sure she wants a proper introduction, so please, Tony Schiavone, you're the best sports commentator in the world today. You bring her up. Okay, Ric Flair, the world champion, is calling for Precious to come out here. We're talking about Precious, the lady who's been with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin for a long time to come out. Oh, Rick. And here she comes. Thank you very much for coming out. You know, she is as live as any woman I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm saying this to you. You know this comes from the heart. 
We've made a few smart cracks back and forth. But Tony Schiavone, I guarantee you that this has got Ric Flair written all over it. This is, without a doubt, the finest female specimen that Ric Flair has ever laid his eyes on. And Precious, I'm sure that you've thought this over carefully. I'm sure you're here to tell the 80 million people watching our program, forget about all the things I've said in the past, just in jest. You know that in my heart and in my mind and in all good conscience that I think you are ready-made for Slick Rick. How about that, Tony? That, huh? that was pretty good. Are you going to give us a decision here? <laughs> look at that. Look at She's looking right through me again. <laughs> oh, you are so wise. You know what? I know what you want to do. I think she wants to kiss me on TV before she said me. Go ahead, Precious. You are so live. But why on national TV? You know, Tony, next week I'm going to be out here with some Space Mountainettes. First time. First time ever. The four horsemen are bringing two of the finest Space Mountainettes ever to be found. No comparison to Precious, but I'm going to bring her a gift. Maybe it'll be a mink coat. But next week right here, Precious, I'm going to call you out one more time. I like the girl with a little fight in her. And the next time you slap me, baby, it'll be behind closed doors. <laughs> Ooh, I like that, Tony. In the fashion unique to the nature boy, Flair professed his love for Garvin's valet and wife, Precious. As the weeks went on, Flair continued to make Space Mountain readily available to Precious and at one point presented her with a $15,000 mink coat. Precious accepted the coat, but brought it with her back to Garvin's side. Flair was outraged, and immediately wanted the gift back, but Precious was not about to look this horse straight in the mouth. Pun, of course, bad as it is, was not intended on that end. <laughs> Amidst multiple attacks by the horsemen, Flair challenged Garvin to a steel cage match. The winner will walk away with the belt the mink coat, and an evening on the town with Precious. Well, the man's the world champion, and when he says something, by golly, he comes through, doesn't he? The smorgasbord is open! That's right! As I told the public last week, the horseman is be here <laughs> with two of the space bonnets, two of the finest. Come on, girl, step on your one Show the public why you're space bonnet. <laughs> oh, don't you truck drivers at home wish you had something like that? Huh? Check it out. Double A. You remember the night, Double A? It's your personal audition, Paula. Come on over here, Paula. Oh, double A. Woo! That's hard. Go. When you live the lifestyle of the rich and poor girls, give Tony a 
big kiss one time, girls. Come on, give Tony a big kiss. Ah, oh, Tony, you're gonna learn to run with the big dogs. Come on, give him a. Ah, bodacious. You see, Tony, when you run with the big dogs, buddy, this is what life's all about. You get in the ring, you wrestle 30 minutes to an hour, you make 10 grand a night, you jump in your limousine, and ooh la la. Woo! Now, the reason we're here, all of us, is because my fiery little precious is going to have one more opportunity to become the number one Space Barnett. Look what we got for Precious. Uh-huh. Show the front. Show the front part, JJ. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Oh, Precious. You fiery little thing. I know you're out there. Come on, Tony Schiavone. As the world's greatest sports commentator, please bring Precious out here because we had this t-shirt for and as I said before, Ric Flair still spares no expense. So I've got a lovely gift for Precious. Okay, the world champion, Ric Flair, with the Space Mountainettes and the War Horsemen. Paul Precious, if you're here, I hope you will come out. Oh, there she comes. How about that, boys? <laughs> you are so alive. Just a minute. Just a minute. Okay. The world champion Ric Flair walking over to our, our right here. Is this, oh! Is this class? My goodness. Is this class act? That's what we're talking about. Hey, this is a class. This is class. And this is Hey, let me tell you something first of all. Banner White's got nothing on you, and you can spin this wheel of fortune anytime you want to. Come on, girls, All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on, Precious. Give him one. Give him one like this. Whoa. One more time, Precious. I told you, Tony, just a matter of time. <laughs> I guess that's my cue. Girls, the horsemen are here. Precious. Woo! <laughs> okay, there they go. Rick Flair, the four horsemen, the Space Mountainettes, and Precious with the coat. Let's go to the ring. As the match began, Garvin seized an early advantage. With the momentum on his side, Garvin looked to make quick work of the champion with his brain buster and threw him into the ropes. In the process of a leapfrog though, Garvin landed on his knee badly and went down in a heap. Flair immediately spotted the, he spotted that opening, of course, in Nature Boy style, and began to dissemble disassemble, I should I say, the challenger's entire leg, eventually locking in the figure four. As the audience went berserk and called for Flair's blood, the dirtiest player in the game used the ropes to his advantage. The additional leverage was enough to gain a pinfall on the challenger. But before Flair had a chance to welcome Precious to the ride, Jimmy's brother Ronnie was in the ring. The battle was over, but the war had just begun. 
The evening after, a cameraman was mysteriously allowed into Flair's hotel room in time for the big date with Precious. As the nature boy styled and profiled, the anticipated knock came to the door, and Flair answered. He had his pearly whites uh, shining for this bout, or should we say this encounter, in the hotel room. Before we got a glimpse of his date for the evening, Precious had turned his head right back out the door. Flair put a stop to Precious trying to run straight away. He put a stop to that immediately with his naturally soothing nature. And just when it seemed he might get some play, Precious turned and decked him with one punch. What did she do? She? Or was it a he?
this for a minute. As J.J. Dillon ran and was subsequently shoved into a pool, Precious revealed herself as Ronnie Garvin dressed as a woman. Who says wrestling's come a long way from its roots, huh? Precious was really rugged Ronnie. As you can imagine, Flair was pissed beyond belief. He was fuming. I wasn't even going to make an appearance tonight because... He was not about to let Garvin get the last laugh. Back in the TV title scene, Dusty Rhodes had looked past the championship. His heart was set on regaining the $100,000 he'd lost in the previous encounter. The Booker Man came up with an interesting gimmick to settle it once and for all. A bag containing the money was to be hung above the ring with one way to retrieve it, a ladder. Sound familiar? On top of that, Around the ropes was wound twine upon twine of barbed wire. A barbed wire ladder match. Amidst outside interference from Barry Windham and J.J. Dillon, the two had a violent encounter that saw Blanchard climb to the top of the ladder. As the horseman reached for the cash, Rhodes delivered a dropkick that swept the ladder out from under Tully. The gladiator then climbed to the top and walked away with the money, but not the title. Dusty got back the cash. In the middle of August, Blanchard was still shrugging off his defeat at the hands of the American Dream. This was done by defending his TV title on a fairly regular basis. This is what started to make the TV title so special, not not just for the NWA, but the professional wrestling industry set the standard for television champions. One such occasion came against Nikita Koloff, who was still in pursuit of Lex Luger. While J.J. Dillon made his regular ringside additions to the match, Koloff decided he'd seen enough and took care of the problem, decking Dillon. Turning to deliver a belly-to-belly, or should I say a belly-to-back suplex, Nikita took out the ref in the process. While all in the ring were dazed and confused, J.J. gathered himself enough to hand a foreign object from the floor, which Tully gladly accepted, of course. The armed horseman took down the challenger with his new weapon. But before the ref could count the cover, Barry Windham was around to stop the count. 
Dylan mistakenly climbed back into the ring in an attempt to stop Wyndham from stopping the referee from stopping his count after not stopping Blanchard from stopping his loaded fist on its way towards Koloff's head. Get it? Anyway, there was a big schmoz in the ring, and when the dust settled, Koloff had taken the belt by using the object JJ had introduced earlier. Now, in the world title picture, Flair had been chasing Garvin for weeks now. Any match involving Ronnie or Jimmy was fair game for a horseman run-in, which occasionally ended with the brothers in a dominant position. With things at a toss-up, Flair did what he had to basically do and challenged Ronnie to a steel cage match for the world title. The match was a brutal slugfest, certainly not Flair's expertise. Garvin was knocking the champion from one end of the ring to the other, pillar to post. Eventually rolled the champ up in a sunset flip from the top, taking the win and the title in the process. A new a new world champion had been crowned. Just as things appeared to be spiraling downhill for the premier stable in professional wrestling, the four bounced back. Just four days after Flair's big loss, Tully and Arn were scheduled for a tag title shot against heated rivals the Rock and Roll Express. Later, on television, the not-so-quite Jim Cornette contested this new team's rights for a title shot while his Midnight Express stood by patiently. As the interview drug on, Cornette said some things he couldn't, he shouldn't have, and Rock and Roll member Ricky Morton decked him for those comments as the champs made their way to the ring. Midnight Express took the Rock and Rollers to the floor, with Tully and Arn waiting in the ring. The champions looked for a few more minutes to prepare following such a heinous attack. Dylan worked his magic, though, once again. He goaded Robert Gibson into the ring without his injured partner. Though a healthy Express could give Arn and Tully a run for their money at any time, an injured single member here against the two was not really a good idea. In the days after, rumors swirled that Morton's injuries were career-threatening and the Rock and Roll Express dropped from active contention for the moment. There was a, a tremendous altercation towards the back of the arena. Next thing I know, the referee came down with a puzzled look on his face. I'm wondering, I could see the cameras were on, were on the air. Why wasn't the match getting started? I asked for uh, Jim Crockett, the president of the Wrestling Network, to come down. He tried to say that one of the members of the defending champions was hurt. He was talking about postponement. Well, there was no way. The match was signed. The cameras were rolling. We were going to get our title shot. Or we were going to take the titles by default. And next thing I know, here come Robert Gibson down the aisle with both title belts over his arm, rolled into the ring, told the referee, ring that bell, and then it really got interesting. Yeah, all right, and here's, here's what happened at that point, J.J.
Johnson. One half of the World Tag Team Championships is partner injured. Glowing from their recent victories, the Horsemen challenged any team from the back to a title match. A call to arms, which was almost immediately accepted, the masked Texas Outlaws mandered towards the ring amidst catcalls and sympathy cheers. They promptly kicked the hell out of the champs. He, they beat them down. As Arn and Tully ran with their belts, the new team removed their masks to reveal Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. Rumors of their demise have been greatly exaggerated. The Rock and Roll Express were back. You know, Bob Cutler, like, you know, I tell you what, when your adrenaline gets flowing, and you know, just watching Ricky Morton down there laying there with his arm like this, Robert, run, Robert Gibson running across, no more, no more, horsemen, quit, quit, he gives up, he gives up. Just like we said, and we've said it, he said it, JJ said it, all the horsemen have said it. When the horsemen say it, it happens. Take it to the bank, cash it, bet on it, bet your house on it, bet the farm on it. Because we said it, it happened right here. Now, oh, you want to think back a couple weeks ago, J.J. Arn, Nikita Koloff beat me for the world television title. Oh, nobody said nothing about that. Poor Ricky Morton. Tough. Tough beans, as it were. You don't cry over spilt milk. It's a tough profession. The world tag team champions are standing right here. The bottom line is, Bob Cottle, when one of the horsemen tell you a grasshopper can pull a freight train, hook it up. By this point, Starkey 87 had closed in on the NWA, and though the horsemen no longer held the world title, Flair aimed to change that by night's end in another Flair versus Garvin cage match. Opening the horsemen was a team pitting Arn and Tully against the ongoing opposition of the Road Warriors for the horsemen's gold. With the road on a tear as of late, Hawk and Animal, a Chicago home crowd in their favor, and their first NWA World Tag Team titles within reach. Things seemed to be stacking up against the younger horsemen duo. Early on, the technicians went to work on Hawk's leg, cutting the ring in half and isolating the ball legion of Doomer. In time, though, the hot tag was made. Animal tore through the champs. Tully sent the ref through the ropes to take the evening's first bump, just as the Warriors hit their doomsday device on Arn. As another ref ran in to register the pinfall, the crowd went nuts before noticing a discussion taking place with the original referee. As the ring announcer led us all in to the tragedy, it was announced that the original ref had seen Anderson thrown over the top rope before the finishing blow was delivered. That meant a DQ victory for the champs and a really pissed-off Chicago crowd and pissed-off Road Warriors Legion of Doom. Later in the card, Dusty Rhodes met Lex Luger for his United States title in a steel cage match. This is where Luger's usual assault of body slams, suplexes, and more body slams would usually suffice. Rhodes' weight soon became an issue. Luger had trouble getting him off the ground, so he stuck with fists and forearms. As the now bleeding Rhodes fought back and locked on a sleeper, Luger took out the ref and Rhodes before collapsing in the center of the ring. Dylan once again tossed the chair over the cage's walls, and Luger made a move for it. As a last resort, Rhodes jumped to his feet and tried a DDT, which drove Luger right into the chair. 
The ref recovered, and before Dylan could utter a word's complaint, Dusty Rhodes was our new United States champion. As Ric Flair floated to the ring amidst glitter and lighting effects, he was met something rather new to the nature boy. Cheers! The crowd was split between the two contenders during Garvin's reign as champ. Flair's supporters were easily the more vocal of the two. As the two started the matchup, Garvin went right back to the strategy he employed successfully weeks ago. He brawled, and when Flair tried to make it technical, he put it straight to a stop. Flair strapped on the figure four at one point, but Garvin fought it off, eventually forcing a break by reversing it to his own favor and forcing Flair to the ropes. Rick attempted to escape over the top of the cage, but Garvin drug him back in and drove his head into the lip of the steel just for good measure. Garvin hit a crossbody block from the top, and the two continued to pound each other to a pulp. Garvin then hit his full-body stomp, and Flair bled, of course. The crimson mask was now out from the nature boy. The two went back up to the top, and Garvin went for the same sunset flip that had won him the title in Detroit. Flair had learned from his mistakes, though, and fell to his knees, grabbing the ropes to aid in his pinning attempt. The ref caught this and kicked Flair's hands from the ropes, almost ending the match with the following Garvin roll-through and pinning reversal. Garvin gave Flair a close-up view of his fist and got a two-count. The two ran through a stellar series of reversals, near-falls, and all-around manliness between the two, which saw Ron take the advantage. Running with the momentum, Garvin looked for a Luthez press that Flair nabbed in midair. Rick used his opponent's forward motion against him, dropping his head into the side of the cage and fell through with a pinning attempt. It was enough for the three count, and as the crowd exploded, Rick Flair walked away with his fifth world championship. As the year drew to a close, young Lex Luger fought to overcome the bitterness of his Starcade defeat. Part of his personal therapy involved joining Arn, Tully, and JJ in a 25-man over-the-top rope battle royal. This is where Arn and Tully stuck to guarding their manager. Luger went after everybody else. They proceeded to eliminate almost everybody. The final four men left in the ring were all horsemen, and Dylan had a favor in mind. He asked the other horsemen to willingly step out, leaving him the winner of the match. Arn and Tully... Grateful for his advice through the years, nodded and silently made their leave, but Luger stood his ground before turning and clotheslining him over the top rope. As the three attempted to assault their former ally, Luger fought off their combined attack time and again. The young star was set to make 1988 a year to remember, and it would all begin with his split from the horsemen. So with Luger out, Flair and Tully champions again, Oli out, and the threats continuing to line up. The next year was shaping up to be quite interesting for the Four Horsemen. 1987 had turned out to be a very strong year, both for the NWA and for the Horsemen. But in 88, they'd see some new opposition. Some guy with bleach blonde hair and face paint. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. It's time to thank the sponsors of Beyond the Bell. They help bring this pro wrestling nostalgia podcast to you each and every week. 
Barbershop Window, the place that makes wrestling t-shirts cool again to wear. They release brand new shirts each and every week. Follow them on Twitter at bshopwindow and go to barbershopwindow.com now to make your wrestling wardrobe cool again. The SNS Radio Network, your home for pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, and video gaming. Get all the latest news and listen to innovative audio released daily. The network is anchored by the two flagship shows, Wrestling News Live and Sunday Night Showdown. So go to SNSRadioNetwork.com now. If you're not listening, you're not trying. RingAnnouncing.com, the home of the future of ring announcing. Sean Beckerman. You can watch the latest videos and demo reels of Sean Beckerman on the independent wrestling scene. Go to ringannouncing.com and follow the future of ring announcing. Combat Zone Wrestling on DVD. Catch the ultra-violent wrestling promotion on TV or on your computer. You can purchase all CZW ultra-violent events on DVD and stream them live straight on your desktop computer at czwrestling.com. Get ready to get ultra-violent with CZW. The National Wrestling Alliance. Tried, tested, honored, and revered. These three initials have represented wrestling since 1948. From Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes to Adam Pearce and Colt Cabana, the NWA has been the breeding ground for the greatest stars in wrestling. You can catch the NWA nationwide through multiple affiliates from coast to coast. Check out the Talk NWA podcast, NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. History, tradition, and respect. Go to nwawrestling.org. Preserving tradition and blazing new paths. The Jetpack, your flight crew, Sean Beckerman and Frank Zintel, bring you the latest news and opinions on the New York Jets football franchise. They recap each game and preview their next opponent with their predictions. All shows are archived at jetpack.libson.com. Also, download it straight on iTunes and stream them on Stitcher Radio. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Beyond the Bell, send all requests to btbwrestling at gmail.com. Join the Beyond the Bell revolution now. It's go time. Old school wrestling fans, we close the book on 1987. A strong year for the four horsemen. Only out of the group, the inaugural member, and in comes the total package, Lex Luger. And in a quick year, Luger leaves the horsemen and turns from friend to foe, ally to opposition in the upcoming year. 1988 will be a wild ride in the history of the Four Horsemen. Connect socially to Beyond the Bell on our Facebook fan page. Follow me on Twitter at Sean Beckerman. Watch and listen to retro wrestling clips and ring announcing footage of me on the independent circuit on YouTube under the username Ring Announcing. Have all the latest episodes of Beyond the Bell automatically downloaded on your smartphone via iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Well, that wraps things up for another edition of your old-school nostalgia podcast known as Beyond the Bell. Let's go for the three count and wrap it all up and take it home with some old-school music. The new member of the Horseman in 1987 
was the total package Lex Luger. So, of course, let's listen back and rewind and relive his first ever theme in WCW. I'll see you next week, fans, as we turn back the clock to relive all things retro in wrestling. Ring announcer Sean Beckerman signing off. In the meantime, fans, I'll see you at the matches. <laughs>